this week on the Digital Dust Podcast. If you are listening to this and you're like, but this doesn't apply to me, it applies to you. I just want you to know that. Hello and welcome back to Digital Dust. I'm Katie. I'm Liz. And I'm Patrick! And then I'm also Robin. Oh, okay. Well, let's just start with that, shall we? <laughs> Lovely Robin is... I decided, you know, to take her place entirely. Is, yeah. It's, yeah. you know, you can be two people person. at once. Yeah, We started That's off cool. with just having the same microphone, and now we have the same body, the same mind, the same... We are just literally into one... You're grossed out by me saying DD and y- yeah. one body. Yeah, budget cuts, guys. It's budget cuts. We got a lot of budget cuts. There going is on. no budget. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yes. So, lovely Robin is not here for this episode. We miss her dearly. She's just swamped. As we said last episode, she is very busy. Yeah. She is off being like a full on adult to like, like teaching teenagers. A full time student and like a mostly full time teacher, which is just insane to me. Yeah. Which equals full-time adult. Yeah. Unlike me. So, okay, got to stop wow. recording. Sorry, <laughs> not recording this. I was recording a TikTok. Go follow us on TikTok. Um, okay. All right. Anyway, it's going to be a little chaotic. I'm, I'm feeling a little chaotic, and that's just how it is. So today, we're going to talk about history jobs, umbrella term, Museums, art galleries, heritage jobs. So specifically in like the public sector, uh, specifically like historic houses or museums, things like that. We're not going to talk about our experiences in jobs. So if you want to hear a happy, you can do whatever you want with your history degree, all the power to you. That's not this episode, but season one, episode seven. I think it's episode seven called schools out forever question mark i'll link it in that's the your episode thank you liz that's your episode go yeah. watch that that's a good that's first great. parter to this go on. it is yeah. it's good yeah. context it's it's a nice more uplifting one a little more optimistic exactly. we were, we were Today, babies. We're, we're all happy but we're yeah now it's been yeah less yes. than don't, two years later don't do the mental math tear it all now down we're, now we're all jaded <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So go watch that episode so that we can now break your heart. Is essentially yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's okay. Yeah. It's not. It's, it's not. <laughs> it's gonna be. It's good. not gonna Don't be worry. all doom and gloom, but it right. is going to be maybe a little gray tea. clouds. It's, yes. Yeah, it's, it's the, the tea, tea of working in history. We are putting the tea in history. Okay. Oh. Oh wow. Oh wow. <laughs> Shut up. That was so good. That. That was so wow. Good. You should be a social media person. That was that was good. Oh. That was really good. <laughs> that was actually that was fantastic yeah, okay no, but well before done. okay before we start i do have i wrote out like a list of disclaimers because i felt like this was really important yeah. number one disclaimer is that none of us are griping about jobs we've had or jobs we currently have mm-hmm. so don't read into this if you are my current employer don't read into this if you are a future employer Maybe do read into this and update your hiring practices. But anyway, (laughs) this is not about like gripes I have with my current job or gripes that we've had with our jobs. Okay. Sure. That's number one. This is like overarching industry 
industry. Yeah. Yes. Totally. Industry problems. Disclaimer number two is that we're going to complain about the industry, but I, I would like to acknowledge that all three of us come into this industry with like extreme privilege. So to start with, we each have at like two degrees. So that is a big step up. We were, I think, I, I'm speaking for you guys, but all able to volunteer at different points in our lives, at museums, at places like that. Yeah. Started started in museums in high school, actually, too. So I was really lucky there. It was just a friend was working there, and that's how I got the job. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or even just, like, early employment before the master's degree that I had at a museum. Yeah, yeah that, that was, that was yeah. pretty lucky in a lot of ways. And, and that you didn't have to, to... I think all of us were, like, sort of well-to-do enough financially that we didn't have to, you know have a whole yeah. bunch of other jobs while we were going to school and everything so we could focus on like academics and that sort of thing and, and getting any sort of experience at museums and stuff we could be more selective about the jobs that we chose we didn't have to sort of find what was available to make sure that we could like pay rent and stuff necessarily yeah. so yeah but a lot yeah. a lot of privilege in, the, in those regards for sure yeah and then the third just being that i mean from a female perspective, maybe less slightly, but I've always walked into museums and seen my stories represented on the walls. I've seen my like race represented. I've never felt uncomfortable in a museum and I've never walked into a museum and seen like cultural objects that should belong to me that are like in a museum of somebody else. Right. So it's like a whole different ball game if that's your lived experience. And we're not going to try to speak to that because we can't. But if you're interested in that and you like want to learn more or that's like a lived experience you have, I really recommend the Wonder House podcast. It's really good. It's all about decolonizing museums and things like that. It's based in the UK, but it's really interesting. There's another really good one too called Stuff the British Stole that also goes into a bunch of different museums, objects and decolonizing them. So check that out too. I'll link both of those in the in the notes. All right, we're going back to recording the TikTok. Sorry, folks, just give us 30 seconds. It's really important that I get my TikTok. What are we recording? I don't know. Just you wait. You can see the fact that I keep my cabinets open. It's a little disturbing. Anyway, okay. So now that we're back on track, I have broken this down into four major issues. But um, if you guys have more issues, we'll get to that. But I wanted to start with something and per- correct me if I'm wrong, Patrick, because honestly, I'm not sure which contracts you hold and what you actually do for a living. Oh, good. But- <laughs> I'm such a mystery. Exactly. Yeah. But from what I can tell, I am of the four of us, although there's only three of us here, the only one who like works in a museum in like a public facing role. Correct? Yes, that is true. Okay. <laughs> So, like, is that intentional? Did you want to move away from museums? Did you never want to work in museums? Like, where where did that come from? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Yeah. So for me personally, yeah, I've I've never, I don't think I ever really wanted to fully end up in a museum. I think that that was the the part of public history I was honestly the least interested in, which sort of made me feel a little bit like a pariah in our program at times, just because obviously the the most common thing that we learn about in the master's degree is museum work, because that's where so many uh, potential jobs are. 
And like the most common thing that you think of for public history and the industry that's easiest to get into at some sort of entryway in some ways, when you think of other things like, you know, content writing or what I do uh, partly at least, which is uh, research for a, a TV show, those sorts of jobs are really weird and don't often come up a lot. And they're, yeah, they're really rare, far they're really fewer cool. opportunities. They are very yeah. cool. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, so I think that's something for sure. Reason why we learn so much about museums, but yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I've never really been one to be as interested in museums as others. I, I think it was in one of our other episodes. We completely made fun of me for a moment because I don't have any museums on the list of, or something of, of places that I want to go. Like, I don't care. I don't have any museums that I really care to go to ever specifically. Like if I'm in a place that I see one, sure, but otherwise not really. So yeah, I don't know why. I Maybe it's the sort of stigma that a lot of kids get in like tv shows and stuff where like museums are seen as really boring places like night the museum literally exists as a as a movie to show that museums aren't boring you know so there's definitely this sort of stigma that they hold uh in terms of level of entertainment and that sort of thing and and so yeah so i think i think that's a part of it i think uh as as i've gone on at length in other episodes of this podcast my interest search is also sort of elsewhere in terms of I don't know, in terms of uh, how I want to use history and thinking about it in more of a present context and more of a social justice way or activist way, things that museums can definitely help in. But I think the ways that I'm interested in sort of doing history are a little outside the realm of museums. That's a very long-winded explanation, I know. But uh, uh, yeah, um, it was intentional in in some ways. Not that I wouldn't be interested in working in a museum one day, of course, but I don't know if it's ever going to be really a dream opportunity in terms of employment. I think for me, museums sort of operate in a space of either necessity or opportunity in that if I want to do, let's say, an oral history project or something, or I want to work on some sort of community-based research or something like that, museums are often a really good place to find some sort of like organization to back a grant or something like that to fund the research or project and that sort of thing. Although even then, that really depends on the size of museum in terms of whether or not they'll have the finances to, to do something like that. But that's the idea. So I'd, I'd be happy to, to work in a museum in those contexts more so than in sort of a, a, a tour or uh, artifact management role, that sort of thing. But yeah. Cool. Yeah, I feel like I'm similar but different. Um, <laughs> I will I will say, so like Patrick touched on this a little bit. Um I really, my only context that I kind of know of is like the public, other public historians that I already know, which is mostly like people who are also in our program with us um, and like our professors and stuff where I feel like for most public history people, um, museums are the hot, sexy place that we want to go. That's the dream, right? Like Patrick is kind of the exception (laughs) to the rule, but like most of our coworkers are actively yeah. trying are to are hot for in museums. Museum, they are they are horny for museums. <laughs> and and it's interesting because the job that I just started, which honestly when I started out in public history, I was very much like, yeah, I want to work in a museum. Honestly, if someone was like, here's a local museum, you can run it, you can be the curator, I'd be like, hell yeah. Like I love like small museums especially. Um, that would still be the dream come true. But as I started to go through public history and like seeing there's a lot of competition uh, in museums and also seeing that there is like no money working in museums, like unless you're at a big federal institution where hiring and turnover is like very low. 
so that's when I started to think about other things I liked about history and public history and look for other positions. Uh, and so I recently started working as a cultural heritage specialist at a consulting firm. And it's hilarious because most of what I do is related to architecture. It's related to buildings, conserving buildings, conserving cultural heritage, and doing a lot of like back end research in primary historical documents. And you guys all hated that when we we did a project that was like designating a historic house and researching it. And like everyone in our program was like, this was the worst project worst. ever. They hated it. I liked it. it. I actually liked it. <laughs> I had fun with it. Yeah, and then, but I realized, cool. and then I started volunteering with the Architectural Conservancy of Ontario in Woo. London, which is a local group. Yeah, Patrick actually, that's one of his contracts. That's one of my jobs. He many jobs. My jobs. He, he's a volunteer coordinator. Gotta um, love the gig yeah, economy. That, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's literally a, a place where a bunch of like history nerds, and they're mostly really nice older people. Um, who can, we have a historic, uh, house research program where people pay money and we research their house and write a report and then they get a really lovely little sign that says when the house was built and who the first occupant was and all that kind of stuff. And it all goes to do some good. And when I found that I really liked that, I was like, okay, I want to do cultural heritage full time, which is, I finally was able to get my dream job, which is great. And I'm loving it. Um, but yeah, there's, there's money in that. Like if you are interested in that please go and do it because the job that I just switched to, I got a $12,000 pay raise. Son of a bitch. Yeah. What yeah. the fuck? What the hell am I doing? Girl, don't, you don't even I, know. I, I, I made a mistake. I don't want to be like, cause it's, it's still no, like dude. entry level Salary job. transparency. Yeah. Oh. Like, I was making pretty like industry standard before and now I'm a little bit more comfortable with this current job, but in consulting and other like incorporations, there is money. So if you're someone who likes history, but also wants to not make like 40 K a year or less, like, yeah, museums sadly are not really the place (laughs) unless you're working to put in like a lot of time and a lot of effort and you're okay with making that, that salary for a long time. So I, that is just my like thing where I'm just like, but there is money in public history. I think a lot of people think there isn't and there is, but it's, it's different places. And sadly, it's usually not museums. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so I would love to work in a museum. I've worked in a lot of museums. Um, but I, I also see the flip side of, of looking at other spots, but totally. Yeah. I need Liz sure. to find me a job. I need. I need. Honestly, I need, I need Liz job. to find me a job. <laughs> well, if you're oh interested God. in cultural heritage, we are like getting inundated with projects. That's why they hired me. So I'm sure. Like, we actually always keep the position open. But like, mm. I'll anyway. I'll keep an ear out and let you know. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely that's cool. It's all it's growing a lot, and it's in London. It's great, but uh-huh. yeah. So I and I good love for you. It. It's yeah do yeah. a bunch of research but they also do community engagement and stuff too. like it's not just like here's a house research it but it's a mix of stuff but no i really like it so far so yeah sounds great mm. honestly sounds fulfilling which i do i, lo- I really sounds love incredible it. i get to be in an office five days a week which i love oh, i know some people don't love, love it but i love it love sitting down yes i have a fancy <laughs> desk there's free coffee it's, it's oh, great shut up is it good yeah, coffee, free coffee. <laughs> Doesn't it's, matter. It's free. It's Keurig coffee, but oh, I will that's say, a... hey, <laughs> Keurig coffee is pretty 
good. And Curry coffee's they great. keep the fridge stocked with like the good like vanilla almond milk. Like mm-hmm. creamer. Jeez. Yeah. So yeah, oh, it's wow. good. It's fancy. It's good. I mean, like, you have yeah, like, a high life. I yeah. Mm-hmm. What the? Like, All right, guys. We're going to take you back down to earth now. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk yeah. about how much the rest of us are struggling. <laughs> All right. What's next? Okay. Kid. Wow. That sounds incredible. And maybe mm-hmm. one day we should do a full episode on your work because I feel totally. like yeah. people don't know what that is. And they will just come into museums, just like wander in, and then they'll come to what we're about to talk about and be like, yes. but why did I do the two degrees in this? Which it's and not It's not where too, I'm at. It doesn't happen frequently where I work, but um, we do a lot of interpretive stuff as well. It's not as common as like the infrastructure stuff, but like, for example, the new Toronto courthouse. So um, there's like a huge archaeology thing that happened where the old courthouse is in Toronto and they built a new one. We did all of the interpretive signs. There's like a digital kiosk. There's like a, um, a like a projection, like art display outside. And there's an, a whole exhibit on the inside. We did that. So we still get hired by people to do museum stuff. It's just like less frequent. So you're still going to You're selling me stuff. on this job. Yeah. I'm, no, honestly, I'm out here great. being like, let me, let me join. Although I don't live in London, Ontario anymore. Rats. Yeah. Yeah. It's everywhere, though. Like, there's definitely going to be those kinds of companies, especially where you are. Uh, yeah. Because it's similar to London in that, like, everywhere you go, there's a history of something. And before you dig a hole or replace something or, like, disturb the ground in any way, you have to do your due diligence and do all of the ground research. Uh, yeah. And see if anything For is sure. at risk, which is what we yeah. do. So, yeah. So cool. Okay. Bring us back down to earth now. We're going to talk about... What I've, what I think are the four issues in the industry and in like the hiring practices or like working, you know, vibes. There are different like levels of issues, obviously, but um, they're coming in no particular order. It's just the the order I thought of them in. Um, so the first one is what I will call the volunteering issue, which is that to get a job in a museum, you need to volunteer your free labor and you need to do that like throughout your early career like I have a museum's job and there's no way I'll get a new job without volunteering in other museums even though I work full-time in a museum which is just like whack it's whack and obviously there's like a million barriers to access to that which we've already talked about the fact that like If you needed to have a second job, because as we've said, the pay is not very good. If you needed to have a second job, if you were like caring for someone, a a relative, a child, something like that. If you had to commute in and out of the town that like you're working in, like that, honestly, the amount of barriers to access to volunteering just on like the surface level, crazy. But then it gets worse because obviously this sector is like overrun with people who did history's degrees. And so, like, everybody is trying to volunteer. So for every volunteering opportunity, you need to submit an application, a reference, and do an interview. And then you're not even guaranteed to give away your free labor. Sorry, it it riles me. I do a lot of volunteering, and I enjoy the volunteering that I do. But there are times when I'm like, but I would love to work at, like, an animal shelter. Like, I'd love to volunteer there. But I, I just, there's no point. Because it's like you're not getting the 
you know, collection skills that you need or the engagement skills that you need. I mean, you can spin it, but still. It's like doing an internship, but worse because it's not even like a job. So you can put it on your LinkedIn, but it goes in like the volunteer experience. Exactly. Yeah. I know. I um, I don't know if you have any stories about volunteering, but I do. And I will put the ROM on blast. I don't care. I would love to work at the ROM, but whatever. In undergrad, I lived... So I went to U of T for Canadians. I, I went to U of T. I lived in Toronto. I lived like a four-minute walk from the ROM for like four years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like a big... Sorry. It's like one of the one of the biggest museums in Canada. It's not, is it the biggest? Yeah. Is that I think it might be the biggest? the biggest museum in Canada. Like yeah, is. like yeah. 44 galleries. Bigger than the actual federal Canadian museum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also like a classic colonial institution full of like Greek sculptures. You're like, what? Where did oh, this all come sorts from? Of stuff. Indigenous stuff too. Like, oh, yeah. 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 So yeah. in undergrad, I was like, oh, I'll volunteer at the ROM. This will be great. The series of events <laughs> for me attempting to volunteer. If you've read my CV and you say, but you said you volunteered, I did through the university. But this was me trying to volunteer outside of through the university. So you go to like a whatever volunteering session where they like convince you to volunteer and they're like, these are all the volunteering departments. There's like 600 volunteers in this institution, okay? They have more volunteers than staff. Crazy. So they're like, you know, trying to sell it to you, whatever. And they're like, you know, pick things and then you'd like do an application and submit it to the right department, whatever. Then if you get accepted, you have to pay for a ROM membership. What? And then you have to pay union dues. Oh, great. What? So, yeah. So you are <laughs> so paying. So it costs you money. You're losing money. Yeah. That's not volunteering. That's So that's... really, like. Talk about the privilege there of like, it's yeah like well-to-do retired people who are probably living in the Yorkville area, which is like hella bougie, hella expensive. That's where the ROM is. And like, yeah. you're completely limiting all sorts of these amazing, you know, like varied experiences, especially like tour guides and stuff. Like you are going to get so many different like viewpoints and amazing little tidbits for whatever like volunteer that you're working with. And like you are si- like simultaneously kind of like constructing that same really harmful settler colonial white narrative yeah. by like limiting yeah. your volunteers like that. Oh, Not to God, say that like all sucks. volunteers there are white or that like only white people could afford to no. do that. Like obviously not, but like where it's situated and like you're making like young people and like people who have to work two or three jobs to like keep afloat. Mm-hmm. Like you can't do that, which really sucks. Yeah, and that in yeah, turn I also, like affects is, museum professionals and reflects on our field, and then you know it's just the whole thing. Anyway, sorry, Pat. Pat yeah, Patrick, this is no, that's okay. This is just this is one of those things that makes me it makes me really, really, really upset when people don't uh, uh, recognize the correlation between social concerns and social inequities and economics. Like it's. Like those people who are like, oh, oh, I'm I'm socially liberal, but I'm like fiscally conservative, and it's like you can't be both. You this not no. they're not two different <laughs> not things. Possible. It's impossible, right? That like, like it it they're they're intertwined, and we don't have time to get into the history of that. And I don't want to bring us down more than we already have been brought down. But it just it really pisses me off when when people just are so blind, or, or rather, are just so un, um, unaware 
of the connection between those two things. Because, and that's what I think Liz is trying to speak to here, right? Is that like, like the volunteers that are, are, are going to be able to volunteer at the ROM are likely going to be from more affluent communities uh, financially, which does have a major correlation to white privilege uh, and, and male privilege and all these, all these and different things, right? And at the same right? time, like the, the museum is profiting all of, off of all of that free labor. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. There's a whole other level oh, yeah. there too. Right? Oh baby, yeah. yeah. I was, I was, I, I was, yeah. I was like, I don't want to get too like conspiracy here, but like, there's a level of capitalism you could definitely talk about with that idea of like, if a, if it, if an institution as wealthy as the ROM is running mostly on volunteers, it is likely so that they don't have to spend so much of their income. Uh, paying for staff salaries and that sort of thing. And it's just sort of like a way to make inordinate amounts of money for a certain group of people by not paying a whole bunch of your staff. And like that, and ah, and ah, it's fine. It's not fine. It's actually not fine. But anyway. <laughs> I had a thought while you were speaking and now I'm just trying to recollect it. It's gone. It might come I can back. say it again we'll if you want. Out. I can say everything that I said again. <laughs> We can we can play we can do a playback. I can press play and you can hear what <laughs> <laughs> No, it's fine. It was something about oh Christ, I can't remember. It was something about volunteers and like economics. But like truly gone from my brain. Isn't it funny how those things work? I okay, anyway. Anyway, yeah, it really is. So that volunteering sucks. I mean, there's a lot of great opportunities in volunteering and you can get a lot of skills like and if you have the ability to volunteer, like as much as it's a problem within the industry, like it's something that you have to do. Like people will be, will say, you know, more people who want to, I don't know, talk about like the issues in the industry be like, yeah, you don't have to volunteer, but like to be competitive, you still have to. Like it's the number one recommendation you get from anyone who you ask for career advice, whatever. And then there's opportunities at work. If, if there are opportunities where you can like, you know, develop skills but yeah sorry liz oh i was just gonna say i will say if you are someone who has a smaller local museum in your area um honestly highly recommend both both the museums that i've worked for um were smaller local institutions one was run by parks canada it was federally the federal historic site but it was in a tiny town and it was it was small but um so both of them were amazing. And in terms of volunteering, you typically have less barriers to access. You don't have to pay anything. I think with Banting House, like there's like a very quick application. I don't think I had to do an interview or anything. Um, so if you are more into that, like there's a lot more room for uh, like to like wiggle around in those kinds of environments. At Banting House, not only did I do tours, but I also got to do an entire digital exhibit for them. Like a bunch of stuff that I put on my resume and use and has gotten me a lot of really great comments in other job interviews. I also use the curator there, Grant, uh, who is amazing. And he's very... He, he know like, I think with that museum, it's pretty much the only full-time paid person is Grant. So yeah. the only, are, yeah, yeah, exactly. The only employee. So <laughs> that whole institution runs solely on volunteers and without volunteers, it wouldn't be there. And he knows that. And so uh, that is one place where you can do a lot of good and like those kinds of small institutions do need volunteers if you can afford to do it and it's also great because grant is just he knows that and he's just so kind and caring and he is still a really amazing reference one of the reasons i probably got this new job is because of him 
So like a lot of that volunteering did definitely pay off there. So if you can get into a smaller institution that's not like the ROM or something like that, um, that would be a really good place to start if you're looking to like get more like bang for your time, if that makes sense. Um, bang for your time. And send for your buck because you're not doing yeah, anything. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Patrick, were you going to say something? I, You know, I think I might just have had a Katie moment. Oh no! Nice, <laughs> nice. It's happening again. We're talking about I Grant think, Banting House. Yeah, yeah. Well, because I think there's an interesting, an interesting thought here about small museums versus larger museums, in terms of like prestige, but also opportunity and all that sort of stuff. Like that was one of the things that was talked a lot about in our master's program when we were looking into internships and different places to go and stuff, and the benefits of, and and drawbacks of both, where like larger institutions you obviously have the name recognition of that place that like if you have been a volunteer at the rom for however many years however flawed that volunteer system is that might be really good on a resume if you're looking to be hired by a larger institution for whether it's the rom or another one of them or something like that that like having that name recognition is really helpful and really important and so there's some sort of sort of like a strategic element to trying to do that kind of volunteer work but then uh, I, I don't know, Katie, if you ever actually did end up doing the volunteering or if you just sort of uh, a little bit. Okay. A mix. Because my, <laughs> my, my, my question is is about like how much you'd really be able to do in a large institution in terms of like the amount you of micromanaging, me. you know? This is, we, last episode we were on the same wavelength and this episode we're on Katie, the same wavelength. we're always on the same wavelength. That's why we we're always on the same argue wavelength. so often. Yeah. No, but, but you know, because that's yeah. when Liz was talking, that's what I was thinking about how it's like, do you want to be a little fish in a big pond or a big fish in a little pond, right? Like you can do a lot of good in a small museum or you can just be another person in a large museum. And then there's the other things like, yeah, Grant wrote you really great references because he knew you and he knew what you did as opposed yeah, to like a volunteer like coordinator. A <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And like it fosters good relationships. Oh, yes. Yeah. It does. And, like, yeah. it can be, a, like, a little bit of both, you know? Like, you can, like, start at small museums and then try your hand at big museums or, like, whatever. Like, you know? And it would be hard to, like, get game. that kind of experience in a small museum in Toronto. <laughs> you know? Like, oh, yeah. Where, like, you're going to have to wait around forever to try and get on that list. So I do, like, if you're in a more rural area, smaller area, it makes more sense. Like, a big-ass city, it'd be a little bit harder, I will say. but Yeah. Yeah. So that's the volunteering. That was actually more positive than I thought it could ever be. So I'm very pleased for that because volunteering is good. I was literally doing some collections volunteer work before we started this. So like, it's great. Yeah. It's it's just me typing words into a a database. But anyway. Okay. But it's (laughs) number two, which Liz. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So fulfilling right here in the heart. Yeah. Number two. two that Liz touched on is the opportunity issue. Which is basically to say there is very little opportunity in this industry and even less so after COVID. I don't know what it's like in Canada because I haven't actually done much job hunting in Canada. But like here, I work in the UK for new listeners. It's like half of almost all staffs were cut during COVID and most of them haven't been brought back. So like visitor services, yeah, tons of people because we're open but 
that's like, you know, most people don't want to go into visitor services if they have a history degree or if they have a museum degree, right? Like that's not what your yeah, goal Yeah, you want is. exhibit design. You want artifact yeah. handling your data. Yeah, you want curator. You want interpretation. You want like, yeah, exhibitions, things like that. And those teams are tiny, even in huge institutions. Like I don't work in a huge institution, but the ones, who, like even people who do, they'll be like, yeah, our learning team is like three people. I'm like, you see thousands of people a day. Your learning team is three people. And they're like, yeah, that's just the way it is. Anyway, so there's nothing, there's nothing you can do about that. Live, laugh, love. Make yourself more competitive. That's yeah. the answer. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. yeah. I wonder, is this going to be a running theme of like, you know what? Maybe one of the other reasons why I don't like museums that much and haven't tried to pursue museum-specific work a lot is because I despise the idea that I need to, like, work really hard to get a minuscule amount of of results that could lead to something better down the line. Like, like I could never be the lawyer who does articling for two years and works 80-hour weeks so that I could then become, like, a partner somewhere and stuff. Like, I can, I, my own life is too valuable to me, and I don't care if that means that I'm not going to be rich valid. or something. I can't. I can't do it. Yes. I can't do it. So I feel like, yeah, so so if valid. anyone is, is listening and is like, I want to work in museums and stuff, like the practical sort of reality of it is you, you kind of have to be that kind of person in certain ways if you really want to be very successful at it or if you want to or if you want those like higher end jobs of curation or exhibit design yeah to work in a museum you kind of do have to be that type a person who like is willing to go the extra mile to do even like outside of volunteering like if you have to be the kind of person who when opportunities come up at work you're like willing to do like i I'm an essentially the works after school club just because it looks good on my CV. So I spend like three hours every month, like not getting paid just because it looks, and it looks amazing on my CV. I have touched so many objects. Okay. So that's pretty cool. picking them up. Yeah. It's really fun, but I don't get paid for it. Yeah. Anyway. So yes, it is definitely a type A person thing and then there's so many type a people and like so many hard-working people it is oh to talk to some of my coworkers, i'm like oh it's so stressful anyway doesn't matter <laughs> live laugh love guys okay i was just, i was curious if it was if if this is similar to like like med school students or like science students and like people stealing your note like like it's not just competitive in terms of we're all going after the same job but like it seems like like these like we're dealing with the kind of people who will like do what it takes <laughs> to get whatever like, interview i did can. yeah i was thinking about it because i have two friends who are in med school and i was thinking about the ways in which some careers are like nothing like this like you don't have to do like obviously you have to work hard in most careers but like the <laughs> yes. you know though <laughs> of course <laughs> work yeah yeah but like the, the job. you know having to like push yourself harder or like do unpaid labor like things like that it's it's much more like med school or like trying to get into law school things like that i will say like people i work with are really nice they just it and they don't even do it on purpose but like everybody's doing volunteer work and so when you talk about it it can feel really intimidating because someone will be like oh yeah i'm doing like an online you know exhibit for this whatever about x y and z and you're like but i'm not doing that and it's just it is it feels like undergrad where you're all like at this level yeah it's quite yeah. stressful i won't lie totally yeah all right liz uh, not liz katie 
<laughs> All right. Number three. This is this is like a more ambiguous because whatever. It's the academic issue, which is like multiple tentacles on this octopus. Number one being that we should not discriminate against people who don't have degrees because obviously having degrees is like a huge privilege and lived experience is really important. Starting off with that, that of course is like most museums are not even at that point in time. So it it doesn't matter because everybody applying to everything has a million degrees. I have in all of my interactions with museum people discovered that they fit into one of two categories. The first category is they have a PhD and they've held the job that they're holding forever. They've had this job for like 20 years and like they got it in like the most traditional way and like, you know, that's that, you know? Number two is that it's a story that you simply cannot comprehend with so many twists and turns and they like don't have a PhD, but they will have a degree in something. None of the people I know in museums have no degree, except in visitor services. I should lie. I should not lie. Visitor services is a whole separate ballgame. But all of the people who work in like museum sides of museums, they all have some degree. But these this second category of people have like the most convoluted story and they'll have like, you know, like a master's in like biology and they'll be working as like a curator. And you'll be like... How? And they're like, it just happened and I applied and I got the job and and now I'm here. And you're like, I hate this. Some people I know find these stories really good because it means like, you never know, like opportunities are just around the corner. I don't embrace chaos. No, no, I hate chaos. Says the woman who started this podcast by saying, I'm feeling really chaotic right now. (laughs) Personal chaos. Personal chaos is fine. Sure. I hear you. Yeah. So, yeah, I do find I try and be like, this is a good thing. But my brain is like, no, no, I I, sometimes I'm like, I wish I'd gone into a career where it's like, this is the clear trajectory. Like these this is like the promotions that you're going to get. There is no promotion in my current job, like literally zero. So the only option is to move departments or move museums. Also, just as an aside, Almost every person who works on my team, so I work like an entry-level job, what you would call an entry-level job. I'm just like in visitor services. Every person on my team, except I would say maybe like the three oldest members of staff have a degree of some sort. And almost all of the people under 30 have two degrees. And we work like the entry-level job. Yeah. So That's what it is right now. Basically... For a lot of positions, like my mom, so my mom was the first person in her family to go to university, and back in the 80s, it was the way to get ahead and get a good career is have an undergraduate degree, and now everyone has an undergraduate degree, so the only way that you're going to get ahead education-wise is unfortunately to have to do a master's. Now, that's not always the case, um, but like for us, for example, all three of us, and you know, Robin included, four of us, um saw the value in getting a master's degree but i was gonna bring this bring this up when the opportunity and then i saw we were going into academic and i was like all right cool the thing is there's a there's a thing such thing as being too undereducated in terms of like an employer standpoint but there's also a thing as being too like too overeducated as well so a lot of the time like people with phds um 
you can sometimes you become overvalued for a specific job and so people aren't going to want to hire you because they might I don't want to say this to Patrick because Patrick's going into a PhD. No, that's cool. But, like, Wreck my dreams. That's what professors have told me, right? Like professors have told me, but I think you're more interested in like teaching. Like it's going to be very applicable to your. Yeah, I do, yeah, my to, like, yeah. Do a history PhD in a random thing because you want mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. You might like completely corner yourself out of a job because you're not going to be able to get that entry level because you're overqualified. People don't want to pay the PhD salary for a entry level job. Yeah. So that's something to be aware of. But like, obviously, if you love academia and you want to teach or that kind of thing, do a PhD. But don't do a PhD for the money. Um, that was something that a prof in second year told me early on because I was like, oh, my God, I love academia and I want to do a PhD. And <laughs> she was like, I only got this job because like 200 other people applied and I was the second choice and the first choice didn't want to come here. She was like, do not do this for the money or the job. Like, do it because you love it, but don't rely on it. So I would definitely say that you can be undereducated. You can be overeducated. That line is very thin in museums, especially. So watch out for that. But Patrick doesn't have to worry about that because hopefully he won't end up in a museum. Maybe he will. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. And my PhD is, is a lot more about like, finding connections with education resources and school boards and that sort of thing and yeah like that could give you a really great consulting position like that have yeah expertise, right as yeah. opposed to just having a thesis on a random thing like exactly right like the, the program is me- like yeah. and, and 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 what i'm personally doing for my version of the program i suppose you could say is is centered on that idea which is sort of specialized and that's sort of it's thing. like medical school like medical school is technically a phd uh, and like obviously you need that to be a doctor it's like the same kind of thing so but with history it's a fine line oh yeah sure. absolutely so that's just something to always be aware of and, but also you can still get a degree um or get a good job even without a, a master's but like unfortunately where we're at right now i don't think that's like standard standard but it does happen so you can do it again if you do that if you have time for volunteering and that kind of thing um and putting in the work you could you could get there without a master's as well Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, one of my friends just got an incredible job, and she only has an undergrad. Only. She has an undergrad, but just an undergrad. (laughs) And she has, like, she got, like, an incredible job. So, like, because she does all this really cool volunteering. Like, that's, you know. So, I know a lot of people are like, oh, I went and did a master's, and you are already, like, you have a house and are making (laughs) more money than me. Yeah. Don't even talk. Oh. Um, I will also say, I feel like I just need to say this because I heard all of these things in undergrad, kind of, we talked about it in our master's, but, okay, I'm about to say some bizarre things you guys just need to understand, you just need to ignore. Oh, God. I, I, I was a really strong student. I don't know if we've ever talked about, like, I was the kind of student who was like, undergrad, first year, kind of killed me, the rest of it was so easy. I was like chilling during our masters. Yeah. So I was like, these people, these people who say that this industry is hard, they're just not trying hard enough. No, 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 no. <laughs> this is a fully different ball game. Okay. <laughs> there is nothing like this. The amount of, yeah. So anyway, if you are listening to this and you're like, but this doesn't apply to me, it applies to you. I just want you to know that. Okay. That's all. I was just going to say that's, I think that's the a hard transition for a lot of people because I was also a uh, teacher's kid, loved school, loved learning, 
that transition from school to like real life adulthood is hard. I cried a lot because I was like, I don't know. This is what I want to do with my life. I like, I, you know what I mean? Like, I don't see a clear path for myself. And like, honestly, what I would say, if you do end up in a job like that, obviously follow your heart and make sure that you're happy and fulfilled. But also it's important to like stick through a job, even when you don't like it, because the more jobs that I do, the more I'm just like, there's just parts of working you're not going to like. Oh, 100%. You're never not going to, yeah, you, you, there were parts of our master's degree that I was annoyed by, or undergrad, or anything that I do ever. There's a, like, that's just sort of what happens, especially, like, I mean, I know I I certainly have some ADHD tendencies and that sort of thing, and uh, uh, as well as several members of my family. I'm not sure about you guys, but, like, when you have very, like, sort of, quote unquote, fast minds or whatever, right? When you have that sort of mind it is very easy to get bored by stuff and it's very it it can feel painful to do things you don't want to do like physically painful to to do things if you're like not fully into them and that sort of thing and so like it like it it is going to be something that you're just going to have to like sort of do regardless and that sort of thing like i heard all the things i i i i hear all the things uh, uh for like you know, don't do it unless you really feel like you want to or unless you really need to and all this sort of stuff. And it really came from this place of, like, I actually see this PhD as a possible way to do what I want to do long-term. And additionally, there's literally nothing else I want to do. Like, I, like, I, like, I actually, like, it's one of those moments where, like, like, I have thought it through, you know what I mean? And, like, I do think that's another really yeah. important thing of, like, and the reason why we're all sort of, at least why why Katie's still in museum work and and why we're sort of having this conversation in general is that like we can recognize these realities but if you still want to do it that's fine it's just you have to be prepared to make the decision rationally right and so a lot of people might make a PhD decision irrationally or something like that uh and and so for someone like me uh I you know that's the kind of thing that I had to to think about quite a lot before I, I decided to to fully do it and it's really funny because the story technically goes, and I might have said this on a previous episode, but the, the very brief version of the story is essentially my partner Jordan learned that that these things were possible, that like you could get a PhD in education essentially, or she, she sort of brought it up to me. And I was like, okay, that sounds like an interesting idea. And then I look on and the application, when I looked at it, was due in a week and a half. And, and so I, I, I took that week and a half to apply and then I got in and then I accepted it and it was all a very fast process. So that in and of itself sounds like a big rush, didn't have time to think about it, that sort of thing. But in that context, it was actually, it's that rather than thinking about it from when I learned about the possibility for the education PhD, it was more so that I was thinking about doing a PhD for a long time and had sort of come to terms with the idea of like if it comes up i could definitely do it and then the the immediacy of needing to apply was sort of like the spark that was like okay this is actually what i should be doing and 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 that's well, and why very that clearly the universe was like yes patrick yeah right you know path, you know yeah exactly like, the and fact so that it fell into place so perfectly so quickly yeah and that and then i i did an application and they accepted it and i did that application in a week and a half and i i still i don't i still think they made a mistake not because i'm not a good student but because I, that's not how it's supposed to work but in any case point being that you know the, that that when you're making these decisions, you obviously have to put a lot of rational 
thought into them in terms of whether it's actually what you want to do, if it if the position that you're looking at makes sense for where you want to go in sort of a larger scheme and a more generalized scheme of your life and that sort of thing. But yeah, uh, yeah. 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 Fair. Okay. Number four is... We've already spoken about it, but like just to hammer home how big the money issue really is and how little money there is. Because again, I work an entry level job, so I make like a living wage, which is like fine. I'm happy to make a living wage, honestly. Um, And it like pays my bills. So that's whatever. But like even the jobs above me don't make that much more than I do. Like it's crazy. It's like everyone either makes like very, very little minimum or it's like, I'm making $90,000, $100,000 a year. And you're like, what? How? Yeah. 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 And like the, the UK is slightly different because salaries here are just lower across the board. But even like, e- even for like the the difference, it's like, yeah. It's funny. I like to laugh about it because <laughs> live, laugh, love, you know? But anyway, just to, just to reiterate, okay? You're not going to make any money like like, there's no money going into savings in my account right now, okay? I am, like, I'm at that budget, you know, I'm saving, like, 100 pounds a month maximum. That's how much money is left over at the end of every month, you know? That's I'm, the vibe. I have $40,000 in student debt. So I also, just because I got a nice little pay raise, I still live paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, Yeah, so that's another thing that, like, it's just part of adult life, and it's oh, good yeah. to experience you as much as you're like, oh, my God, I don't have money, and it's really stressful. It it will get better, but, like, you're it's the, it's the phase of your life that's normal where you're supposed to be paycheck to paycheck and struggling and poor. Um, so, yeah. 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 Support us on Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> if only we had a Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how we... Guys, that's the DM us answer. if you'd be willing to pay, okay, because we need money. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm including, when we talk about volunteering, we're basically volunteering right now, guys. Yeah, this, honestly, but, yeah, this is. We do it for you guys. But, anyway, so uh, that is the rant. Obviously, if you still, after all of this, you still want to go into museums, go into museums. But I feel like lots of people stumble into museums because it's like, I have a history degree. What do I do? The answer is museums or teaching. So I guess I'll pick museums. Of course, we, we'll talk about, you know, maybe if we do an episode about Liz's job or something else, like the other opportunities. But I think a lot of people end up stumbling into museums kind of just because and realize that it's actually a very difficult industry. So, but if you still want to do it, all the power to you, do it. But it's yeah. not the only thing out there. It's not the only interesting thing out there. Uh, yeah, no. Because I think a lot, yeah. again, it's that, I said it before, I'll say it again. It's the sexy job, right? That everyone in public history wants. Um, and what's cool is if you are able to eventually get to a place where you're very comfortable in what you're working and, and the money that you're making, you, though, and this is what I tell myself, like with museums and stuff, and, and that volunteering is there. You can still do that. You can be in museums and do collections and do all this fun stuff. It might not be right away. You might need to be retired or I don't know, like wait a little bit until you're more comfortable, but you can still do it. Or you can do online things like this. And, you know, uh, if you have spare time, um, it, it's a great way to do it. It's the same thing with uh, everyone in my high school thought I was going to go into music because my mom's a music teacher and 
I was, I do a lot of instruments and singing and everyone thought I was going to do music or teaching. And I was like, music will always be there for me. I don't need to do it professionally for me to join a community choir and like get what I love out of it. And it's the same thing with history or museums. So it's always there. You can always go back to it. That's the great thing about volunteering is there's lots of opportunities. Obviously we talked about the not so great side of it too, but you can still get a good job and be fulfilled in other ways not just your job because i think that's a big oh yeah that's a big thing as millennials and and i guess gen z a little bit as well is and i'm guilty of this my values need to be aligned with the company or the position that i'm working in and i want to be like feel fulfilled that i'm making a difference and that you know like my work matters and sometimes that we get a little too narrowed into that because at the end of the day it's a job so sometimes you just have to look for that fulfillment elsewhere but Obviously, yeah, if it's absolutely. like this company is raping the earth and like doing all these horrible things, then like, yeah, no, like if you don't feel like you want to work there, don't work there. But, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Reason. There's something to be said for no ethical consumption under capitalism and that sort of thing, right? That like at the end of the day, groceries cost money and you need a job to pay for groceries so you can eat. And so like at a certain point, and you kind of have to Exactly. with that job, it'll decisions. allow you to do other things that you can make exactly. a difference with. And exactly even it out you know yeah yeah i'd also say the other takeaway at least i have from this episode as the anti-museum person that i am is is that uh i think there's because you hear it a lot with phds as i've been saying but i think there's there's merit to the idea of like going after something if you want it if that makes any sense that 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 you know I like, and I don't mean this to fly in the face of what Liz just, Liz just said, because I think there's a way where both of these ideas can can work sort of harmoniously and together. But that, you know, if if you think to yourself, I have a history degree, what can I do? Teach a museum? I guess I'll work in a museum. You may not want to be the person who works in a museum. Do you know what I mean? Like, the, like museum work is, 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 is a calling as much as any other job can be when it's a sort of more of an, an, an aspired sort of label of a thing, right? If you want to work in museums because you love collections and you can't think of yourself not being around objects that are from the past or whatever, then yeah, then you should probably go work at a museum. But if, if you know, so like, I mean, you're a little goblin this is... that likes shiny things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you should probably be a bank robber. So, in <laughs> general, though, I think <laughs> I think uh, what I'm trying to say here overall is just if you you gotta just take a minute, take an afternoon, go for a walk, and ask yourself why did I do a history degree? Why did I actually do one? Was it because I didn't know what to do yet and thought history was interesting? Cool. Then guess what? You don't need a history, or rather a job in history at all. You can go work literally anywhere. If you just did it because you like didn't know what else to do and enjoyed it, all right, you, you have like options galore, right? It's widely applicable to a bunch of jobs. It so is. Like it you really is. You narrowed yourself into a corner, so. Yeah. Exactly, right? Right? But like then think of like, okay, I did history because I really like, you know, holding old objects of things and whatever okay great archives might be really helpful or so like you know so like like if you just think about what made you want to do this in the first place then there you go right and so like like that is how i've been able to guide myself to where i want to go and so i think yeah if you want to work in a museum be it, it it ought to be because you really enjoy the things that museums offer I don't as much as other things. And so I I have enjoyed all the museum work I've done in the past. I would be totally down to do more in the future. 
I'm not saying that I actually, you know, dislike the work at all, but I don't know if it's entirely what I went to school to do. And I think that's an important thing to ask yourself. So there you go. Yeah, no, that's great advice. It's a really good little caveat to end on, I think. Yeah, that's great. So as always, DM us if you have any like stories that you want to tell us or you have any questions for us. We love getting DMs, especially DMs that aren't like bots trying to sell us things. Those are my favorite DMs. They're like, join our company. Anyway, DM us, email us, all that good stuff. Follow us on TikTok. I'm, you'll see the TikTok I made. You'll see what I was wearing during this recording. I was going to say, love Whoa. the Leafs, uh, the Leafs gear. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I'm wearing Leafs gear. They, I think they lost last night, which is a little sad. But anyway, I mean, you can bet on that. They've laugh love. They wow, the, clinched. Yeah, I was going to say, the, the, the Leafs losing. Hey, that's, they've ooh. clinched. <laughs> they've clinched. Yeah. I hate the word clinched. I, that's why I've said it four times. <laughs> it's just the worst word. Anyway, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, sorry, I was about to be like going into hockey stuff, yeah, but that is like, like literally the last thing <laughs> that, yeah, that we part need. Part five of working in a museum. But anyway, as always, DM us, email us, all of that good stuff. Follow us on all the social medias. Let us know if you're interested in a other, the other side of public history jobs episode where we could talk about my job and talk about other things that aren't just museums yeah. or like PhDs. I'm interested. Yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy to uh, give you guys more info because again, I feel like a lot of people don't know about it. So no, for sure. I mean, I feel like I barely know about it. People ask me what you do, what any of you do, and I'm like, Robin's in a teachers college, and I don't know what the other two do. Yeah, we're not friends. <laughs> hey, I don't know what any of my friends do. That's that's a pinnacle of friendship. No, Most people don't like even it. know like where you work or what you do. You're so yeah, serious. you're well, so. You have to be. We're all. There you go. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I do have to be secretive, but also, like, I'm a public-facing employee, so, like, I don't want you guys coming knocking down my door. Yeah, no true. offense, guys. Much love. That would be super creepy. She's got enough friends anyway, coming and crashing with her. Visiting. I have enough friends. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, DM us, and also DM us if you'd like a Patreon. We just, we'd like to know. I mean, we would like and then to if know. you have ideas of content that we could put on the Patreon, let us know. There you go. But because yeah. we'd like to do that I for you guys. I could sing songs so. for you. It could be great. Okay. I don't know about <laughs> that. Anyway, we we're now running out of the Zoom time. So, do you either of you have anything you'd like to say? No. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just wanted to make sure before I cut us all off. Thank you. Thank you. Katie. Thank you so much for listening. Rate and review us on whatever app you listen to podcasts on, but only if it's a five-star review because I want to keep our five-star reviews. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on TikTok. All that good stuff. DM us if you have questions. Other than that, we will see you in two weeks for what I'm sure will be another great episode. And until then, we will see you on the flippity a floppity. Yeah! Bye-bye. Digital Dust is recorded on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabek, Haudenosaunee, Lenapawak, and Attawandaran peoples, on lands connected with the London Township and Somber Treaties of 1796 and the Dish with One Spoon Covenant Wampum. This land continues to be home to First Nations peoples, Métis people, and Inuit people, whom we recognize as the contemporary stewards of the land and waters we are on today. 
Digital Dust is hosted and produced by Elizabeth Edwards, Katie Gaskin, Patrick Kingen, and Robin Marshall. Sound design by Elizabeth Edwards. Audio transcription by Katie Gaskin. Our theme music is by Mattias Miller. Thank you.